Well, this morning, as we re-enter 1 Corinthians, uh, back in at chapter 7, we're having a second reading service. And we don't want to assume if you're visiting this morning or you've not been here long enough to be here over, uh, for a reading service, maybe you've come since last September, just a quick what and why of what these are. The what is this, is that our practice generally at Grace um, is to preach through whole books of the Bible um, um, from beginning to end, um, both from the New Testament and the Old Testament. And we really try as elders over time to be, be aware of, are we, are we getting a balanced diet of both? Uh, Jesus said in the end of the Gospel of John, uh, and he also told the, the two believers on the road to Emmaus at the end of chapter Luke, that everything written in Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, it was all about me. It was all pointing forward to me, all promising what God was going to do through me from the very beginning in the, in the garden when sin entered, how God was going to redeem that huge and, and tragic uh, mistake. And then all of the New Testament is explaining then, describing for us the coming of Jesus and explaining to us Jesus and exhorting us then to walk in a manner worthy of him. And so as a, as a practice, we want to preach uh, the, the whole counsel of God's word. Uh, and as we preach through whole books of the Bible, we also want to understand them in their entirety as well as in their, their details. And so before we dive into preaching verse after verse and section after section, we'll, we'll stop for a Sunday and publicly read a large section of what we're about to preach through. Sometimes we're able to read the whole book in one sitting, which is amazing. You get the whole picture in one. First Corinthians is a bit long for that. So this morning, we are going to read chapters 7 through 13. So it won't get us quite to the end of the book, um, uh, and it's picking up where we left off. Why is this? Like I said, one, it gives us context. It helps us see the big picture and understand how the various pieces fit together in Paul's mind and in God's mind um, to understand the whole. Uh, but I think also these public reading services where there is not a sermon following it this morning, in place of the sermon, we are going to hear about almost 30 minutes, 25 to 30 minutes of God's word read to us. And, and we also believe that that's an expression of our confidence that the unadorned, unexplained, uncommented on word of God is living and active and God speaks to us in real time through it. I hope that it encourages you that even as you sit and read your Bible and you feel maybe lack confidence that how can I understand this, just me, that the Holy Spirit helps give us understanding and speaks to us right through his word. There's a place for teaching and preaching. We're commanded to do it, and that's what we're about to do in the coming weeks. But there's a place for simply hearing it read. Uh, so now this morning, uh, uh, as we dive in, we're, we're reading 7 through 13. I was just thinking my daughter Lily Mae is reading the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy for a class on the Inklings, which were these authors like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and Dorothy Sayers. And so over the break, uh, she was reading The Two Towers, which is book two of three, voraciously trying to get through it. And I was thinking this morning, if, uh, if I just handed you The Two Towers and you'd never read The Fellowship of the Ring that comes first, um, and you'd never read the third book as well, because that's dumb. If you hadn't read the first one, why would you have read the third? But if I handed you The Two Towers and you just jumped in at the beginning, you would immediately be thinking, what's going on here? Why are these people all scattered in all these different places? And what has happened? It's, it's clear that it's not the beginning of the story. And you'd get to the end of it and feel like everything wasn't tied up and a lot is unresolved at the end. You might feel a little bit like that this morning in this reading service because we're not going to finish all the way to the end of chapter 16. And there's some that's come before. So I can at least help kind of ramp us up with what came before. 
Uh, in chapters 1 through 6, Paul, in this whole letter, in fact, is responding to some things. He's first responding to some reports he's heard about the state of affairs at the church in Corinth. And it's not all good. There's some pretty hard things that he's heard that grieve him. And he begins the letter by addressing things that he's heard. Things like pride and infighting and division and factions within the church and aligning themselves behind various spiritual leaders like Paul and Apollos. And, uh, and as a result, there's infighting and arrogance and boasting and Paul's name is being slandered by some, although he's an apostle. Immorality in many forms, even sexual immorality, has been growing in the church, and there's instances of it even where they're priding themselves at their open-mindedness to do nothing about it. And he speaks into that and talks about why that must not be. There's lawsuits that have happened among believers, um, and he's encouraging them to make peace within the church to demonstrate to the world that the gospel is able to, to make peace among enemies. And, and so... We get to chapter 7, and he begins now to respond, not to the reports he's heard, but now some of the questions that they had sent him in writing. And so we'll hear a few of these things in today's passage, like now, concerning these matters which you wrote. And he's now responding to some of their questions or things that they, they don't have quite right. And so I want to give you three uh, handles to maybe help because it, it might feel a little bit jolting like, here, we're talking about marriage and singleness. Now it's food sacrifice to idols. Now it's women's head coverings in prayer when we're gathered. Now it's abusing the Lord's Supper. Now it's spiritual gifts. And we're, we're sort of like, what's, you know, pick a topic, pick a lane, Paul. Um, three phrases in here throughout this section that I think help anchor some of this together. And they, and they, they point us to the big questions that drove Paul in all of this. First one is in eight, chapter 8, verse 1, when he says, you know what, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love builds up. Up. And so as you consider, how do you live as a, in a, as a married person? How do you live as a single person? How do you exercise your Christian liberty? How do you use the gifts that God has given to you spiritually? Um, well, here's one question. Is it building others up in love? Is that the motivation? Second handle hold, chapter 9, verse 23, at a point, he, he gets to a climax, and he says, I do all for the sake of the gospel. That's, that's a kind of an overarching blanket statement. Again, so in these various matters to ask, am I, am I pursuing a course that is for the sake of the gospel, that, that is for the sake of making the good news more readily received, more winsome? Um, is it uh, encouraging the, the, fr the fruitfulness of that gospel message? Third handle hold, chapter 10, verse 31, he says, whether we eat and drink, whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. We were created in his image in part to reflect him here on earth. And so in these various matters, another question we can ask, am I living in this aspect of my life in such a manner that God says that glorifies me? And there might be a few things in here that at first read we think, wait a minute. <laughs> but I want to encourage you to, to, to this morning, maybe suspend judgment and wait till some of the weeks as we're going to preach through these, but to at least ask God, of all the people I can trust to tell me, how are you glorified in my life? You should be the first. So let's give God his chance this morning to explain to us how exactly do we glorify him in all things. I just erased my notes. I didn't erase them. Here, let me go back. This morning we're going to have Darren Early uh, read this section to us. Darren Early uh, and his wife Sonia and their five children have been here at Grace uh, for some time now. Uh, Darren is the director of Loyola, uh, Loyola Marymount University Family of Schools. 
Uh, he is a teacher in his background and a school administrator. Lots of experience teaching in front of people. But he told me again this morning that the most fearful thing is just standing and reading God's word, <laughs> being entrusted just simply with delivering God's word. And so man, he's been prayerfully rehearsing and reading and, and, and pouring over this. I'm excited for him to read it to us. Um, but I've loved getting to know Darren here uh, in, in the years he's been at Grace. have a tremendous amount of respect for him as a husband and a dad. And as a preacher and teacher, he's had experience with that in his past, in his past churches. And it's just going to be a delight to have you come up and read for us. So Darren, come up. I want to pray. Oh, and as he's coming up, I want to give you one last heads up. We're going to break this into three spots. And at, at, at two spots, he's going to just pause and sit down. And I'm going to stand up and just let you know, here's the three people who are going to be preaching in that chapter or in that section and invite one or two of you to pray out loud for the matters we just heard read for the, the, the preaching of that in the weeks to come. So be prepared for that and be ready to pray out loud so we can all hear when those times happen. And at the close, we'll uh, end with a hymn. So, Darren. Good morning, Grace. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Don't deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he shouldn't divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she shouldn't divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know wife whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know husband whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. 
For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Don't become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you haven't sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she hasn't sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do what he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined that, this, that in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't yet know as he ought to know. But if, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will, not, food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours doesn't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat foods offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, 
you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Doesn't Doesn't the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we haven't made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than to have one deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make my full use of the right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you might obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food 
And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Don't be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, they, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands Take heed lest he falls. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Aren't those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in, of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I don't believe, I, I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with, if I partake with thankfulness, why am, I, why, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it's the same as if her head were shaven. 
For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That's why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man independent of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Doesn't nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her, hair is given to, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. <clears throat> but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I won't. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it won't be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom. 
to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For if the body doesn't, for the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now, I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. 